Hello and welcome to Heritage Bites, a podcast where we delve into the fascinating history of the city of Mississauga with you, dear listener. Presented by Heritage Mississauga, the only citywide charitable heritage organization in Mississauga, Ontario. I'm Justine Lynn, the Collections and Resource Lead at Heritage Mississauga. And I'm Melissa Toss, the Social Media Coordinator with Heritage Mississauga. And today we would like to discuss the fascinating and morbid tale of hair wreaths. Well, we will be discussing one hair wreath in particular, actually, the hair wreath of Catherine Amelia Greenius from historic Mississauga's Sheridan Village. Most people might not know this, but Heritage Mississauga actually has a small collection of historical artifacts, documents, and the like. Back before Melissa joined our team in her current capacity, she was my fearless collections assistant. And I say fearless because we are very much trying to be fearless when we first saw the hair wreath. Do you remember that, Melissa? Yes, I do. (laughs) Well, it was on a pretty tall shelf in our collection storage room. And so we couldn't really see what it was until we brought it down. And when we saw it, it still wasn't clear that it was hair that was making this like 3D ornate design because you don't expect hair to be so neat and decorative. And it's in a floral wreath pattern with dark greens, rich browns, even some white filament. And the wreath points upwards in a U shape and it's mounted on a cream colored fabric. And on the bottom, the hair work is embroidered a caption also in hair, (laughs) C-A-G, September 6, 1858. And there's a card on the back of the frame that was done later than the actual hair wreath was done um, by members of the family. And it reads, Catherine Amelia Greenius, daughter of Peter Greenius, born April 30th, 1834, died October 15th, 1859. So already we know a little bit of context. But before we get into all that, I thought we could talk a bit about hair wreaths and what they are, because I'm sure most people have never seen a hair wreath, let alone made one themselves. It's really a dead or dying at best um, art form, really. So when you see it, it's a bit perplexing, if not almost a little frightening. And it really just conjures the question, why hair? Exactly my thoughts. Like, blah, really? Hair? Well, it was quite more common than we would think. On a more practical note, the ladies back then had heaps of it. They kept their hair quite long, and Google says that on average, we lose 50 to 100 hairs a day. And I mean, one of the things I love about Victorians is that they always had an object for everything, even the most niche thing. So Victorian women would collect these hairs from their hairbrushes and put them into hair receptacles. So this was such a common practice that these containers were specifically made for this job. The fancy ceramic containers, as they came to be, had actually a hole on the top so you could add hair without the ones from last week escaping. And even if you cut your hair, you would often save it for future use, even if you didn't know what exactly that might be. So what you're saying is not only did they have an abundance of raw material, but they also had the means to store it. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that's one way to put it. But mind you, this had been happening for quite some time before the Victorian period. It was simply a very common practice to collect hair, regardless of whether you meant to do with anything with it or not. Right. It makes sense because there are a few things you could do with it besides making hair wreaths. One would be stuffing a pin cushion with it. Another might be making hair pieces that would help women make their elaborate updos. And some scholars even trace hair pieces and hair extensions back to ancient Egypt. So this is certainly not a new practice. But why hair wreaths and hair jewelry? For some reason, that other stuff doesn't weird me out as much as having a giant hair ornament hanging on, on your wall or around your neck as jewelry. It just feels weird and almost wrong somehow. But that wasn't always the way. Unlike other parts of the body, hair does not decompose and was, therefore, used as a lasting keepsake. As Gaudi's Ladies Book pointed out in 1860, hair is at once the most delicate and lasting of our materials and survives us like love. That being said, it is intimate, precious, delicate, yet long-lasting. This kind of brings us to the actual uses for hair work, orientation, however you want to call it. As that quote hints at, the most common usage of hair wreaths was actually for mourning. This is actually, of course, where the gruesome kind of fascination with hair wreaths comes from. This was something intimate to a person that died some 150 years ago. Of course, it's only gruesome or odd to us because we're typically viewing it from our modern sensibilities. And in the Victorian age, it was more of a touching homage to someone whom you love deeply. Author Karen Bachman wrote an essay on the topic in the book, Death, A Graveside Companion. And she writes that death was everywhere. We have to remember that disease was rampant, sanitation was minimal. People were lucky to make it into adulthood. Infant mortality was especially high in the 17th and 18th centuries. This is exactly when we see the beginnings of hair work. Hair work even began to play into folklore. In a Swedish book of Proverbs, for example, there is a line that reads, rings and bracelets of hair increase love. Victorian society would take this to a whole new level. And I think we can thank Queen Victoria for that. <laughs> Indeed we can. When the Queen's beloved husband, Prince Albert, died in 1861, she was devastated. She went into a save mourning that lasted the next 40-some-odd years until her own death in 1901. She was a celebrity. Everyone wanted to emulate her example of mourning. This is why some people call it the cult of the dead. This idea of a morbid fascination with the dead and mourning rituals. Have you seen much other mourning items? Oh, tons. Uh, women, they would wear black for at least a year, then gradually um, go into lighter tones like deep purples or browns. Jet black jewelry was also very popular and also very striking as well. And you can see examples of all these things in almost every museum collection in the Western world. You can see why people called it the cult of the dead. And, you know, actually, we still see some modern traces of this. Uh, for example, my great-grandmother was a widow when I knew her, and she always wore full black. It's a common uh, practice amongst many like traditional Catholic families, and this is all what you would consider examples of memento mori, Latin for remember you must die. After all, death was as much a part of life as, well, living. And so most people believed that you would once again see your loved ones in an afterlife. So to remember death was also to remember what followed. It wasn't really meant to be as spooky. It was romantic and sentimental. 
Hmm, yeah, that's so true. And the best way to remember and honor their loved ones was making something like a hair wreath. We must remember that this was before widespread photography. It's hard to understand today when we always have our smartphones out taking pictures of everything and everyone, but they really did not have this. And so hair wreaths were oftentimes the best way for them to hold on to their loved ones forever. Right. And this is also why you see so many hair wreaths that are formed in a U-shape like the one in our collection. Hair wreaths with the deceased hair would usually be displayed with an open end upwards to heaven as if to show the deceased ascending into heaven. Yet another reminder that while death was difficult for the family, the loved one was never truly gone. And of course, most hair wreaths would have been hung in the home as a constant ever-present reminder of that fact. This was also reminding me of how you were telling me a while ago about that, you know, many family members might be represented in the hair wreath as well. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, usually the hair in the center of the wreath belonged to the most recently deceased family member. It would remain there until another family member died. Then it would be pushed to the side to make room for the hair of the next deceased person. So some of these hair wreaths you would see ever evolving over generations even. But it didn't only have to be for mourning, right? No, I remember I was researching this a while back and hair wreaths also could be used as a sort of family tree. Uh, family hair wreath was a way of letting others know about the family and their history, who you were, where you fit in the family wreath, all told a story. Right, like a family genealogy of sorts. Of course, it wasn't only the hair of the dead that was used. As mentioned earlier, people just kind of had a lot of hair lying around. So you could easily make a hair wreath from the hair of living people as well. Yes, eventually hair wreaths were created for sentimental reasons too. They might be given as gifts to friends or loved ones as keepsakes. You might remember, for example, give a lock of your hair to your romantic interests so they could keep it close at all times. It's like a shared sense of intimacy to see the hair wreath in a home or to wear it close to your own body. There is something special about that, I suppose. Of course, there were also other uses for hair wreaths as well. Well, most scholars believe that hair work was nearly always a woman's craft. In fact, Victorian women learned many artistic and crafty skills known as fancy work. For example, a Victorian woman may embroider a sampler to practice her skills and her parents might hang it on the wall to display her talent. It's kind of like saying, you know, look at what my daughter can do. She would make such a great wife with all her skills that she's learned here. Middle-class women would have honed the skills needed to actually create something like a hair wreath by practicing other skills like needlepoint and embroidery. Even if they didn't necessarily know how to make hair wreaths, many women's magazines depicted different patterns that could be used for hair wreath creations. The tresses, as they are called, were woven around thin wire and formed into delicate romantic motif designs like flowers, floral sprigs, and leaves. You could also add other ornamentation like wooden or glass beads, buttons, even seats. You know what's interesting too? Some of the non-mourning shapes that wreaths could be formed into included things like horseshoe shapes facing upwards to catch the good luck. Sound familiar? Yeah, so basically the exact same shape as the ascending to heaven shape discussed earlier, which is interesting. Well, that might have also been something that they used to commemorate some kind of important moment in one's life. Unlike the mourning wreaths that tend to dominate media nowadays, 
Hair wreaths might have also commemorated happy occasions like weddings, first communions, or christenings, church or social groups. That brings us back to our hair wreath in question. Yes, of course. Our hair wreath from Catherine Amelia Greenius was dated to September 6, 1858. So this raises the question about what this date commemorates. Perhaps it would help us to delve a little deeper into this woman from historic Mississauga's Sheridan Village and why perhaps this hair wreath was made. Well, Catherine Amelia, who we will refer to as Amelia, was from the Greenius family. They were of German heritage, if you couldn't guess from the name, and over the years, actually, the name was spelled in various different ways, likely misspellings from the original German. But for our purposes, we will refer to them as the Greenius family. That is G-R-E-E-N-I-A-U-S. Sebastian Greenius, born 1761, and who died in 1847, was the first of the family to come to Canada from Pennsylvania in 1802. So just to put this into context, Sebastian was actually Amelia's grandfather, right? Yes. We haven't really found evidence one way or the other to support this, but I do know that there were quite a few German Mennonite families in that region that came to Canada in search of cheap land for farming. So perhaps this was Sebastian's draw to Canada too. Perhaps they also had close relations to Loyalist families that immigrated here as well, despite not being on the register of Loyalist families themselves. So there are probably likely multiple reasons that they chose Canada as a place to call home. Yeah, regardless, we do know that Sebastian was a weaver by trade, along with his father, Simon Conrad. Sebastian was granted Lot 34, Concession 2, south of Dundas Street on July 1st, 1808, and their land lay within the historic village of Sheridan, though today it would probably be considered part of Clarkson, just southeast of the QEW, Queen Elizabeth Way, and Winston Churchill Boulevard today. Back then, though, it would have been wilderness. The first few years would have been very hard. They would have had to clear the land and build shelter for the family, and they would have had to quickly begin farming too, or else be left without food come harvest. So the family began farming their land, and Sebastian's sons continued the farming lifestyle. After all, he had quite a few children with his wife Eve. Their fourth child was Johann Peter Greenius, the father of our Catherine Amelia. As Sebastian grew older, he sold the north half of the lot to his son, Peter Greenius, in 1823. Catherine Amelia Greenius was born on the farm on April 30, 1834, to Peter and his wife, Elizabeth Ann Oliphant. The Greenius and Oliphant families were quite close, actually, and you had to be close to your neighbors, as relying on each other was the best way for survival. Children, likewise, were essential to continuing the family farm. Peter sold the farm to his eldest son, David, on August 23, 1854. Only a few days later, David sold it to his younger brother, Gaylord Greenius, on September 9th, both brothers to Amelia. So this was the life in which Catherine Amelia Greenius lived. It would have been a hard life, but also one in which family was essentially important. Interestingly, another of Sebastian Eve's children was Catherine Anne Greenius, later married to Hiram Oliphant, the brother of Elizabeth Anne Oliphant, Amelia's mother. She was born in 1802 and died in 1854. 
I thought maybe that this was the lady referenced in the hair wreath as C.A.G., but the date is all wrong. 1858, that's four years after her death, so it's most likely not her. But she was likely the namesake of Peter Greenius's daughter, Catherine Amelia Greenius. Another Catherine who it might be is Catherine Jane Kenny, who married Gaylord Greenius, Amelia's brother. Interestingly, sometimes she is referred to as Catherine Anne rather than Catherine Jane. And of course, after her marriage, she would be known as Catherine Jane or Anne Greenius. So could this have been the CAG referred to? Well, maybe, but probably it wasn't either Catherine Anne or Catherine Jane. We know Catherine Anne had already died by that time, not to mention that she would have gone by her married name, Catherine Anne Oliphant, not Greenius. So the initials don't match either. For me, given the date, it doesn't seem that it's Catherine Jane either. The date doesn't line up with her wedding date of January 21st, 1857, and 1858 holds no particular significance to Catherine Jane's life either. And I did actually check if there were any children or other people that had died from Catherine Jane's line or anyone else's line really in the family. Um, in fact, the only Greenius that died in 1858 was a Mary Elizabeth Greenius from a different branch of the family. And she died in January, not September, like on our hair wreath. It just doesn't feel like anything fits, you know? So that brings us back to the inscription on the hair wreath. C-A-G seems to say Catherine Amelia Greenius. She has always been the one that has been associated with the wreath by the family. And while we have not found anything to commemorate that date in particular, she seems to be the only C-A-G that was alive at the time. But what of that date, that pesky date, September 6, 1858? It has to signify something, doesn't it? Well, she was 24 years old then, certainly of marrying age. And her sister, who was only three years older, was married to Robert Freeman at the time. We actually have a Bible that Robert gave to Amelia, where he wrote his sister-in-law a note inside, reading, A token of respect from Robert Freeman to Miss Catherine Amelia Greenius, 11th of December, 1850. So clearly Amelia valued family, and the women in her family were getting married at that time. At the age of 24, Amelia would have been close to being a spinster in those times, believe it or not. Yet we have never found a marriage certificate, so it is unlikely that Amelia herself was even married. Even on her headstone in Spring Creek Cemetery in Mississauga, she's listed with her parents, not with a husband, as would be typical if, if she had died after a marriage. So it probably does not commemorate a marriage as the family had thought. Okay, then what about her death? That has been pegged at 1859, only a year later when she was 25 years old. We do not know why she died, and the lettering on the grave is actually quite unclear. So some think it says 1858, and others, including most official sources, think it says 1859. And this discrepancy is because the gravestone is made of a soft marble or sandstone, which deteriorates quite badly over the years, especially in this Canadian weather. So it's very hard to tell what exactly it says if you go to the gravestone nowadays. Right, but you can't forget that in every source, her death date was always very clearly stated as October 15th, regardless of the year. Definitely not September 6th, which is what's on the hair wreath. 
So that leaves us to piece together everything we know into the most likely scenario. We know the shape of the hair wreath is in a U-shape, open at the top, likely to show the soul ascending into heaven. It could also be construed as a horseshoe for good luck, but what occasion would it be commemorating if not her marriage? It does make you think that maybe Amelia was ill and the wreath was made as a good luck charm for her to get well again. Remember, she died quite young. She was only 25 years, 5 months, and 15 days old, according to her gravestone. Like I said, we don't have a death certificate for her. Death certificates were quite rare at the time. Typically, the only thing left is their gravestone, which does not state the cause of death. Maybe she was very sickly at the time, and they made it as a good luck omen to ensure that she would live past 1858. Maybe that is why Robert gave her the Bible, to pray for her well-being. With that hypothesis, the question remains... Why is there hair from several people on the wreath? Right. That's a good point. We have white hair, brown hair, blonde. It's all mixed together. So that tells us that it was most likely a family tree of sorts. Um, But it could have also been a mourning wreath as well for this early family, tracing their deceased loved ones through the strands of hair, the only lasting memory of those long gone. In fact, it could even be both of those things. So perhaps we have been wrong to assume that it is Catherine Amelia Greenius's hair wreath or hers alone. It was the whole family's likely. Something that she may have initialed because she had worked on it or completed it. As mentioned before, it was common for unmarried single women to work on fancy work projects, such as embroidery, cross-stitch, or even hair work, to display their talents to possible suitors. These types of skills would have been essential assets to a woman in the 19th century, who needed to be able to make and mend clothing and other textiles. While we will never truly know exactly why it was made, this hair wreath is a glimpse into the life of a young, talented woman and her family who lived in historic Mississauga. It is one of the only items that we have to commemorate a life that was gone far too soon. Life was hard, disease rampant, cholera and diphtheria were some of the more common ones uh, in historic Mississauga. They would take entire families in one fell swoop. There is really no telling what Catherine Amelia Greenius died of, but she was very young when she died, which was unfortunately all too common. And she wasn't married, and she never had that opportunity to start a life of her own. Well, we'd like to pose the question, what do you think of this piece? Do you think we've cracked the code, or will this fascinating piece hold on to its secrets sometime more? If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share Heritage Bites with your friends and family. Visit our online collection at www.heritagemississauga.pastperfect.com to view the Greenia's hair wreath for yourself and many other treasures. Please also remember to head to our other social media platforms at Heritage Mississauga to stay up to date with all the heritage happenings with your heritage source and advocate, Heritage Mississauga. Until next time.